This podcast is made possible by our sponsors, The Interchange Bench. They can fill any professional level role in any industry and sector, both short and long term. And Vital Smarts. Have you found yourself in a conversation where emotions have taken control? You can easily get lost in the moment. You might say something you don't truly mean or your meaning is misinterpreted. Crucial Conversations Training gives you the skills to be able to say exactly what you mean, exactly how you mean it. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM for an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners. Scott Morrison, I can report on a very shallow level, was at the Dreamtime game on Saturday night and unlike Malcolm Turnbull, didn't send text messages under the table while the speeches and the music was going on. But he did leave before quarter time because he had a cabinet to reshuffle and to announce. I was absolutely gutted. Were you? I was, yeah. I think he's a terrific coach and he represents so much of those wonderful values that we all love and admire about North Melbourne. This is a beautiful book. It's a thriller. It's a love story. There's something very mystical about it, which you would like, because you know you like that mystical stuff in books, and you know I don't. I, I love, know. I love the way you always say that, and your little face screws up, and you give me a little patronising smile. No, you... I believe in fairies. What are you grumpy about today? I'm grumpy with Facebook. Really? And yeah, and it's increasingly menacing role it plays in politics. Corrie, what is cli-fi, and can I catch it? <laughs> It's called climate fiction. Sounds like a sexually transmitting disease. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone. It's episode 87 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, Corrie Perkin. G'day, Caro. You've Hello, been, everyone. You've been very busy lately, Corrie. You've had book launches and Wheeler Centre book meetings and gatherings, and you've been, oh, you seem to have been doing something every single night. The May to do, Sale on at the bookshop. The May Sale, which looks amazing. I've, res, I've actually resurrected an old favourite for oh, our good. BSF today, one I of my favourite books. A little faded gem over there, Caro, and I'm beside you. My daughter Clementine has a wonderful recipe. We're going to talk about the new Morrison government and cabinet. We're going to check in on our monthly challenge, and I have honoured my dates with all three children. You'll be here, happy to hear, and I'll tell you all about it. And we've got some interesting stuff on the ABC, Corrie, and Brad Scott, the first coach domino to fall. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that one, Caro. Thank uh, you to our show sponsors, of course, the Interchange Bench and Vital Smarts. And thanks to Wade Kingsley, who posted on our Facebook page. And yes, Wade, I know there is cheese in the white sauce as well as on top. It's He, he claims... This is, this is the ongoing drama I'm of so, 2019. I never put cheese in my white sauce, but mum does. A must too. It's a top recipe on BBC Good Food website, according to Wade. And we got a lovely heartfelt Facebook message from Lisa G, who's been going through a very difficult time, Corrie, since Christmas. She wraps up her message by saying she loves hearing our banter. She's constantly entertained by our relationships with our friends and family, thought she would share how much she appreciates our work and is rapt to be listening to us again. Driving the highways of Victoria, Lisa, we know things have been really tough for you lately and we hope you see your way clear to listen to us sometime soon. And Corrie, it wouldn't be... Yeah, go on. It wouldn't be... Don't shoot the messenger without an apology. Yes, I have. Well, it's a little apology. Well, I'm not sure that it's an apology, but it's a, I suppose it's a mere culpa in a way. Deborah from Abbotsford wrote to me, Dear Corrie and Caro, I love your podcast, but I was a bit disappointed the other day, Corrie, when you made mention of Jane Bunn's jersey dresses. I think she looks great in them. Is it because she looks so different to other weather presenters? 
We should celebrate those women on television who are so at ease with their bodies and clothes choices. That's not like you, Corrie. You're right. I thought that would get you into a bit of trouble. <laughs> you did not. You I didn't did. say one word to me afterwards. I, I, I was very careful. You asked me a question. Okay. I think Jane Bunn is one of the best weather presenters, not only Channel 7, but any of the commercial networks have ever have had. I, I, I must say I have a bit of a soft spot for Edwin Ma, who used to be on the ABC. But uh, that's a bit old-fashioned of me. But I think Jane is a terrific breath of fresh air, and she is such a talented meteorologist herself. So, you know, full skills come with the entire package. There are a lot of jersey dresses, and so... That's fine if that's Jane's choice and that's the Channel 7 wardrobe department's choices. That's great. All hail to you. I didn't mean to be rude or disrespectful. <laughs> I'm just going to leave But it you there. prefer her in block colours. Our friend Trish claims that she's been wearing a bit less jerseys since um, you asked the question. Oh, I'm I don't so... think Buns listens to the podcast, I'm not so sure oh, about she that, she does. Trish. Hi, Jane. I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm but, just saying that. Oh, yes. Lovely, lovely, um, lovely yeah. comeback to Jane Bunn. Cara, well we received done. a nice message on the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account from actually an old friend of yours and mine, Julie Staley, who said, as I travel four days a week for work, I go to sleep listening to you two chatting away. Love Julia, Anna and so many memories. And then another of our um, gang on the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account, Nat Mark Oscar, who is actually Natalie. I'm with you, Caro. Never watched a Game of Thrones episode or read the books. Too busy indulging in the Cazalets. And can I tell you, Natalie and Caro, that only two days ago I convinced one of the visitors to the shop to actually embark upon the Cazalet series. I sold her the num- number one is light, the light years, is that the right? The light years. Yeah. Sold her the first, I said, what you'll be back. What a lucky person. I did say her that. Her whole year is set. <laughs> it's set. Well, it's winter sorted. That is unbelievable. Oh, well, I played cards with Julie's sister Penny the other night. We had a fabulous night. All my old school gang got together and had a, well, not all from the same school, but most of us. And gee, it was a funny night. Very, very funny. Thank you, Julie, for that lovely message. Bit, you know, of, Corrie, bit of gambling going on there, Caro? Yeah, we all put $10 each in and um, our friend Dot won the money Gosh, for the first time. That that card group, you bet less than our own card group, our other card group, the one I'm in with you, Yeah, we the play other... a different game. We put 20 in to start with, high yeah. stakes. Can oh, I just say, we do. Um, I hope the bookie that has, that has um, in, I hope the bookie that took my $30 bet on Gary Ablett to win the Brownlow Medal for 2019. I hope he's enjoying his $30 or her $30. Yes, I think a bit of a, he's, he needs to make a few changes to his style at the moment, Corrie. Now, the goal of the month for May, we're getting to the end of May. Please tell me you've done your steps. No, I haven't done my steps. And there's a good re- or two good reasons for that, Caro. One is uh, been a bit busy, as you said, on book matters over the last That's few true. days. That's true. <clears throat> but the other thing, Caro, is I wanted to um, buy a good pair of shoes for our walking trip that's coming up and I wanted to wear them in for the thousand steps. So again, because of the aforementioned book issues, I haven't got, but I bought the shoes on the weekend and I'm off this week. Hopefully before the end of May, we might be going into June. It depends how I go. But anyway, that's on. So next week I'll be able to tell you all about that. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I remember I was going to do some bonding with my children, which sounded so... It sounded a bit pathetic, really, oh, didn't we it? We were all, Jane and I were vomiting a bit. But, but you know, no, look, if you want to be seen as 
the United as, as it mother happened, of the year. That's as, no, well, I'm certainly not mother of the year. But as it happened, I had a date with each one of my three children since I last saw you, since I last saw you on the podcast. So... First of all, with Rose, we went on, we did one of my favourite things, a mother-daughter dinner with another mother and daughter to a smart restaurant in the city that people have been raving about for years, but I've never been to. It was. Are a, you allowed to tell us which one? Yeah, it's called Super Normal. Okay. I've, I've, have you ever been there? It's oh, no. one of those cool restaurants in Flinders Lane Sounds in cool. Melbourne. Very, very, had a fabulous night with our friends Penn and Paris. And so that was Rose. Tick. And in fact, Rose and I have got a speaking engagement with my mum, Julia, later on today. So a lot of bonding going on there. Where are you speaking? What a trio at of our, talent. At our old school. Oh, three generations. Yes. Oh, yes. That's sweet. Sadly, my grandmother, the, the original generation, can't be there because she died some years ago. But um, anyway, Ned and I did something we have not done for a very long time. We went to the footy together. Ah. Ned's a one of my three kids who doesn't go to the footy so much anymore. Lost a bit of he faith. He barracks for a rival team to you. Well, he barracks for Essendon. So it was a clash of the sashes, a dream time game. And we were just going to go and sit in the members, but then we got asked to the function. And look, it was just the most enjoyable night watching the footy with him. And I was voting for the yoke and medal, always stressful. Remember a couple of years ago, I didn't give Dustin Martin the three votes and mm. everyone said I had a personal vendetta. That was a new story oh, for a few days. Oh, it was a nightmare. Anyway. Um, life, life is very tough when it's you, isn't it? The yoke and medal. Oh. Anyway, look, it was a fabulous the duties night. Of Office. Ned offered some really unique insights into footy, into some of the Indigenous celebrities and political celebrities who were at the dinner. So that was absolutely just a wonderful night. And um, yeah, we had a really good chat. And who did you vote for? Or who won? I voted Is for... Is that the same one and the same? There were three um, vote givers and I gave my three to Basher Hawley mm-hmm. and he won. So I think one of the other guys, Daryl White and Gilbert McAdam were the other two voters and I think one of them gave three to Dustin and one to Basher. I gave my two to Dustin. Look, it should, probably should have been all three Richmond players, but I gave an Essendon player, Darcy Parrish, who had a great game of vote. So that was Ned. And then, look... Why it, do I think with Clementine you may have gone shopping? Because that's what we did. Oh. <laughs> well, she's my youngest and she's got her first full-time job. And I did say that we'd go and do a bit of a winter... Would you? And also, she's very persuasive, your Clem. She is. And look, I would have done the same for the other two at the same age. I mean, in fact, I know I did. I did something you know I really don't enjoy, and that's going to a big shopping mall. In this case, Chadston on a Sunday. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, we only managed... Um, we only, I think we only. How far did you get Uniqlo or Uniqlo? Well, that was the plan. Uniqlo has a, it really covers a full gamut. It does. H and M have some good t-shirts and stuff like that. Although they not do. so much work gear for the young, I wouldn't have. Thought. Well, Clem suggested a couple of other places afterwards. I said, let's just get to Uniqlo. Well, they give you those big bags. The service is amazing. We somehow managed to beat the queues. The cost of their cashmere jumpers compared to other places is embarrassingly good. And people tell me, in fact, I was sitting in makeup yesterday with Beck Madden at Channel 9. She said they don't ball. The expensive ones ball. That's a good local tip for oh, you, Oh, they Corrie. so do. Oh, I've learned that. Oh, I've learned that the hard way. Well, she says that the, my little pillaring comb thing. She said the Uniqlo ones don't ball. Well, that's because they're made of synthetic, probably. Well, no, they're not. They're cashmere. I mean, they're just – anyway, she claims they and don't ball. So I'm going to try it out. a few purchases for Clementine, what about – Caroline. Oh, look, I, I did oh. buy one jumper. I needed, I needed another jumper, didn't I? Why did I have – why did I 
Why am I not surprised? Corey, it was a soft, beautiful pink. And then I did something. Goes with your nice pink raincoat. Then I did something. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Thank you. Then I didn't. No, I don't. No, I really don't. The, you look the silly. coats at Uniqlo are all about 90 women, bucks. Women over the age fantastic. of 45 should not wear pink. Oh, some shades of pink. Oh, I disagree. No, I don't. I reckon really. that's, that's when they that's should start rule. wearing it. Poor, poor Miss Jane is laughing here because she says she hasn't recovered from my that black is, boots. That is so you ages. You can wear black boots, Jane. You can. That is so ages. Pink is a great colour. You wear pink, don't you? Oh, I do. Have you God. ever seen me in pink? Not that I have a thing against pink. Oh, don't Mind you, I wore pink on I'll TV look, the other night Jane and I looked back somehow. and I thought I looked absolutely dreadful. Anyway, then I did something I haven't done for whatever. I, well, because Clem has only been with Will for about 18 months, under two years. Anyway, I drove her to Will's house and so I got to see where her boyfriend lived. I got to live the journey and that was it. So, Did you meet the parents? No, no, the, no, I didn't. But. No, but that'll but be the next step. In fact, Will's mum has helped is helped me with my June challenge. Oh, so I'll tell you about that next week. Rightio. Um, I think we should get onto something more serious. Yeah, well, the, let's the, talk, the lifestyle of Caroline Wilson. Let's talk about politics oh, under the second let's. Morrison government. How let's. do you think he's faring so far? Well, I, look, man, man on a job, man on a mission. He has been here and there and everywhere and up to Queensland, uh, which I think was a, strategically a very good move. There is no denying that Scott Morrison is enthusiastic about his role. He has he has jumped out of the. Well, you'd hope so. (laughs) Well, you'd hope he was enthusiastic. Well, yes, but you sometimes think they might take a few days off to just, I don't know, sit on a beach somewhere and contemplate who's going to be in my cabinet. Oh no, Scott's gone off and organised the whole thing. Yeah, poor Melissa Price, the Environment Minister, no longer. She's being replaced by Susan Lay, which is good because we need more women. In cabinet and certainly in the Liberal Party generally, but particularly in the federal parliament, Arthur Sinodinus, who I have always been a bit of a fan of, particularly his bravery that he, the bravery that he showed during his cancer treatment, out of his hospital bed literally to come to Canberra to vote for Malcolm Turnbull last year, showed such uh, united um, I don't know cohesiveness and and loyalty. And I also thought he was terrific, Caro, on the ABC's coverage of the federal election. Arthur yep. Sinodinus has been announced as the next ambassador to the United States, States replacing Joe Hockey. And I think that is a very good appointment. Yeah, but I why think, are all these people leaving? Mitch Fifield's left too, hasn't he? Yes, he's Sarah off to Henderson's the UN. managed to sneak into the Senate. Well, well, good on her. But Well, we don't. Is that confirmed yet that she's going to stay yeah, in her seat? Yep. Yeah, they've, they've put her into the Senate this morning. Uh, okay. Well, Linda Reynolds... Uh, no, she was – Sarah Henderson was – she was def- – oh, they put her into the Senate's yes. place. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. That's, okay. A, that's a sneaky way of looking. I mean, I mean, she did work well, very I, hard. Well, I think she's a hardworking – I think she's a hardworking girl, Sarah Henderson, woman, um, and um, well done to her. Linda Reynolds becomes Defence Minister. Uh, I don't know much about Linda Reynolds, but that seems a pretty good move for a woman. And, of course, we have, <coughs> excuse me, our first female uh, minister for agriculture, which is terrific, Bridget McKenzie, Senator Bridget McKenzie. Congratulations to her. But then after that, it gets a bit thin with the women. I'm very pleased to see that Ken White becomes the first Aboriginal person to hold the Indigenous Affairs portfolio. Yep. Uh, but, Caro, look, I'm probably just waiting to see what direction he's going to take us. Is he is he going to uh, take the party more to the right? Is he going to keep a centrist control on things? I'm not really sure. Uh, still, obviously, Peter Dutton is in the ministry. Uh, the right voices still have a presence there. I'm not sure. 
Why do you think that Tanya Plibersek and Claire O'Neill pulled out of the leadership race for the other side? My gut feeling is that they had very honest conversations, as they both said. Um, I thought I thought um, Claire Neil O'Neill's interview with Barry Cassidy on The Insiders on Sunday was absolutely exceptional. What a star, you know, a scenting star she is. Uh, I was actually in the in the studio when she came oh, in in makeup because I was doing offsiders. It's so she's nice a, to see a thirty something woman who's passionate about politics, so articulate and just and a good sense of humour. She seemed to have as yeah, well. Yeah, she was. She seemed like an absolutely lovely woman. I yeah, must say. it was a really good interview. I just um, my gut feeling is that it is like they are telling the truth. They had they did sort of seek the numbers and the numbers weren't there, and they have probably both been promised something in the future, and they are prepared to back the party and believe that and this is not their time. I hope the party sticks by any promises that they've made, those two women. But, but T- Tanya but, was obviously slightly more to the left, wasn't she? And yes. they, they felt they needed I think it's all about factions. Right. I yep. think it is all about factions, Cara. There's no doubt about that. But I think the way the two women have handled this has been quite respectful and gracious. The trouble is, you know, I look at both uh, ministries and both both sort of the four or five key roles for Liberal and Labor. And there are lots of middle-aged white Anglo-Saxon men in grey suits on that lineup, And that, that is troublesome to me because that doesn't represent Australia. No, but I, I – no, you're right. We're much more diverse than that. And, and something needs to be done about libs and women. However, it's better and I'm just glad somebody is in, in the majority because minority governments are just not for – Couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I also do you like? A, can I ask you? Do you like Anthony Albanese? Do, how, do, how do you? How does he sort of rate as a yeah, voter no, on the Richter scale? For yeah, you? no, he's uh, he appeals to me. He appeals to me, and I've got to say, you know, regarding Scott Morrison, I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm, I'm disappointed the uh, the the Labor, the ALPs, backed away from its original climate change stand. I thought that was a real bombshell last week that was sort of glossed over. Um, Scott Morrison, I can report on a very shallow level was at the Dreamtime game on Saturday night and unlike Malcolm Turnbull, didn't send text messages under the table while the speeches and the music was going on. So, um, and it was, he... Um, he you, were, you, were, you were eagle-eyed on that one, were you? I was, he, he let, but he did leave before quarter time because he had a cabinet to reshuffle and to announce. So good of him to turn up after, um, after the election. Look, I, I think it's going to be fascinating over the next few months where this is going. But, but I also, I think if if you have a majority and you've been actually voted in, which hadn't happened to Scott Morrison before, surely this is time to make your mark. And let's see, let's see how good a leader he really is. Caro, the other really interesting story here too is that increasingly, and even just last night, uh, I was listening to some show on the wireless, I can't remember which, but once again, the discussion about Penny Wong and why will she not transfer down to the lower house and actually make a bid for leader or deputy leader. Once again, this came up. What is it about Penny Wong that she does not want to seize the opportunity? Oh, well, I think she's very happy being a senator. I mean, she she obviously made that decision early on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, have they? Do you think there's been a real push to bring her down to the lower house? Well, I suspect not. I don't know, but there seems to be a just, just in a, the the, even at a, a dinner I went to on Saturday night, it was the topic of conversation for about five minutes. Everybody around the table and different different voting uh, preferences around the table. I have to say, but everybody has a genuine like of Penny Wong, and everybody 
around the table said, why isn't she making a bid? Why isn't she, you know, moving down to the lower house so she can actually put her hat in the ring? It's an interesting question. She's never really addressed leadership. She does seem to be very happy as leader of the Senate and, you know, goodness knows she does a terrific job there. But you would think that if she's personally ambitious, she might want to have a crack. Maybe she's just comfortable in her own well, position. It's, in the still, it's still a pretty big job, and I don't actually see it as imperative. You say that everyone likes her. I mean, not everyone likes her. She can be quite a divisive character, certainly for right-wing Australia. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Maybe she's just pretty happy being the leader in the Senate for yeah, the ALP. Now, on the reporting of all of this, Corrie, there have been some massive changes, obviously, in terms of the ABC particularly. Barry Cassidy hosts his last insiders on uh, in two weeks' time, I think, uh, well, around the first, first or second week of June, and he's being replaced by David Spears. What did yes. you think of that appointment? I think that's a fabulous appointment. I must say I have wondered for a while because I've, I've, I do watch Fox, uh, Fox News, uh, Sky. Sky News, uh, pretty much most nights when I come in late from an event at the bookshop because it's a good way to touch base with news at nine o'clock or whatever time. And I'll often watch delayed programs. And David Spears is so uh, well-versed in Australian politics. He has such a great contact book and he's incredibly fair. And I've often wondered, are you happy at Sky News? Well, as, he's, as he's, navigated, he's navigated both sides brilliantly. He does, he does, but he's working for this perceived or or real uh, increasingly conservative right-wing news organisation. How comfortable has he been feeling there? I'm not suggesting for a second that's why he's taking a pay cut and going to the ABC, but and certainly filling in for Barry Cassidy is, uh, you know, uh, you and I would see that as a promotion and a real uh, Very prestigious job. Oh, very prestigious. Big cues to feel very well received. Is it a job that you would have ever wanted? Oh, no. Heavens, no. I'd be terrible at that job. Uh, um, well, not political. No. I mean... I in- do love the idea of a longer interview style program where the sole focus is politics. Well, I, well, that's the insider. Not that I'm good enough to be a commentator, but I'd love that job. Well, I love the show. I love watching the show. I, I was surprised how well received it was within the ABC. I mean, they're all it might, people were delighted with the appointment. I know. I think Waleed Ali was a contender, or his name had come up, and I think his name is continuing to be in contention for the Q and A job because, of course, Tony Jones is leaving Q and A. Um, but would Waleed Ali want to leave commercial television? Well, I. Th- I think um, the, the, the price differential is probably a bit of an issue there. I certainly think that's an issue at the moment. And then so we'll see what happens there. But And, of course, Virginia Trioli is coming, which was an absolute no-brainer for mine to replace John Fain. I thought that was a great appointment. It's a fabulous appointment and I and I – I, I know that you know seven seven four have lost listeners since Red Simons left, and I just hope Virginia is able to, to stop the stop the leakage and build a new audience, and that would be fantastic. But Caro, just back on Q and A, I do I do feel do feel very sad that Tony Jones is leaving. I know he's leaving for uh, because his wife Sarah Henderson has been appointed to the China correspondent for the ABC, and they're a terrific couple, and she, he's obviously you know going with her on that particular geographical and professional journey. But he is so good in that role. I yeah, can't imagine Q&A without him. He is good and it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how the Waleed Ali conversation, crucial conversation, plays out or whether they go for someone else, whether they go for a woman. I think the Waleed, there was talk that Waleed Ali would do both insiders and 
Q&A and I don't think that David Spears will be doing both. So let's see what happens there. It's fascinating. Sounds like you have a bit of inside info there. With with a mention to um, our lovely sponsor, Vital Smarts, and we, of course, had Jeff in last week talking about crucial conversations. There was a crucial conversation at the North Melbourne Footy Club last Friday morning, Corrie. I am very interested in how events unfolded, as you said, with Brad Scott being uh, stood down as the coach of the North Melbourne Kangaroos. I was absolutely gutted. Were you? I was, yeah. I re- I think he's a terrific coach and he represents so much of those wonderful values that we all love and admire about North Melbourne. I have such a soft spot for the, all the gang at Arden Street. And watching, you wouldn't have seen it because you would have had your television commitments on Monday night, but on Monday nights... Oh, no, I did watch it because AFL I had to watch it because we were, oh, going okay. on, we were going on air an hour afterwards. Oh, okay. So what did you think of the interview he did with Robert, Robbo and Jared? Well, he shed light on a few things on Monday night, which changed the commentary a bit, changed the dialogue a bit. I was shocked that he wore his North Melbourne colours. I thought that was really strange. I have never seen that before. And he, I, wearing I, his slicker thing, yeah. I'm told was a, it was a jumper. Or he something. said it was a um, fans polo. Very, right. very, and very sort of strange. But anyway, he is. His leadership group had turned up on his doorstep on Monday afternoon with a bottle of Hill of Grace and to have a bit of a, you know, last minute goodbye. And I think he was very touched by that. And I think there was a bit of an emotional pull there. I think he, despite the fact he said he'd offered three or four weeks ago at this crucial conversation board meeting to walk away at the end of the year, or he also offered to stick around and be part of the rebuild, I think that probably he was starting to mentally check out or and starting to lose faith in some of the people around him, the staff around him, and there will be big changes. The head of football, Cameron Joyce, I'm sure, will also be changed and some of his assistants. Um, he wanted to stay till the end of the year. Mark Robinson broke this. Well, it, well, I think first of all, it was Tom Brown from Channel 7 said on Triple M on Friday morning he'd be gone at the end of the year. Then Mark Robinson made it a bit more immediate and said it could happen within weeks. Shall we have a bit of a listen to what Brad Scott actually said Good idea. on Monday night? There was a, um, a, a plan put forward and options for the board to consider. Um, the board, in my understanding, were reconvening on Friday to discuss those options. Um, and, and then your story um, came about. So, And that's... You're doing your job, so you know any journalist who got that story would have run it. So there's no issue there. Um, but I, I don't see I had any other option. I didn't know about it until Friday afternoon. So, and so it, to be it, clear, the, the the my my suggestion about um, if a di- different direction was required, that I would step down at the end of the year. Right, so it was going to be the end of the year. So there yep. wasn't going to happen next week or two weeks or, or the buy break. No, but it was at the board's discretion. Now, in the end, um, the board decided that it was this week. Are you at all disappointed about that? Oh, I'm disappointed for the players because um, you know I've, I've seen myself as their their um, you know, their biggest supporter and and their leader. Um, so you know, I, I really value the role that I play when we're under most pressure. That's when you really have to step up and, and lead. When things are going really well, it's, it's much easier. So in times like this, that's when I prided myself on, on fronting up and getting the job done. Um, but yeah, and all I can do now is offer as much support as I can to, to Reese and, and the rest of the coaches and players, and I will. Caro, 
What interests me about this is the board and what, what happened on that particular day and was it a unanimous decision to, to get rid of him? Yep, and and the, the board have a very different you know version. That. The board had a very different version to what Brad just said then. I'm, I'm told that the club says, I'm told, that he, the severance was done late Friday morning, early Friday afternoon. I think Friday morning. The contract was signed and it was going to be announced on the Tuesday of the following week. So... So he knew on Thursday. No, on, on Friday it was all done on Friday morning. The decision so, so the was board made. had decided. They, the, he'd, he'd said, "I can either step aside and I can do it at the end of the year, or I can stick around and be part of so the rebuild." At what point exactly did the board have their meeting and say he's going now? On well, on Friday on morning. Friday morning. And, and and the CEO Carl Delina spoke to Brad. He signed the severance contract, and it was all going to that was always going to be his last game, even though that wasn't his call. But the board was unanimous. I'm pretty sure, yep. I mean, they he's been there nearly 10 years. He couldn't be part of the next rebuild. It was going to obviously be a rebuild. They're, they've fallen out of love with each other. There was a commercial element to it. The fans were right off him. The members were right off him, according to the club. Even some sponsors had probably, you know, they just weren't happy with the game plan, team selection. And there was a lot of the, the old stalwart, you know, the David King, obviously, who he hip and, almost hip and shouldered at the game on Saturday, which was a really bad look, I thought. And I'm, I'm a big Brad Scott fan too, but he shouldn't have done that. And the words he I used. Let it, I, I put that down to high emotion, don't you? You've got to be better than that. You do have to be better You've than that. You've got to be Isn't better than that. You know, that when, when, a, when an AFL coach leaves sacked, well, they don't usually choose when they want to go, so let's just use the word sacked. Uh, it's always so public compared to other industries, and it's always so emotional because it's not just it's not just employee employer. It's all the stakeholders: the players, the fans, the sponsors, the media. There's no bigger story in footy than a coach removal, is it? And this was. But can the, does the media should the media take some responsibility for pushing these stories to the edge and, and ending no. someone's career a bit the, earlier than it? Like the, the media, if, if Robbo hadn't have broken that story, they would have announced it on the Tuesday, not the Friday. Okay, and he wouldn't have got a farewell game in a sense because Saturday would have. This is what the club is saying: it would have been his last game either way, and there would have been a farewell press conference the day after that AFL three hundred and sixty interview on Monday night on Fox Footy, and it would have been done on the Tuesday. So the club is saying that they had, after they lost to Sydney in Tasmania, Sydney had. A team averaging 67 games. North had a team averaging well over 100 games. North is a Tasmanian home team. Sydney was struggling. That was when the club went, okay, it's got to end now. Time to go. Stop the rock. And, I mean, there's a suggestion that maybe Brad had started to mentally check out. Everyone completely denies that. I don't think that's right. I mean, he is a professional. And you say you like him and you admire him. Well, don't worry. He'll be back somewhere else next well, year. Well, Lee Matthews Probably suggested Carlton he should, would Yeah, be Lee Matthews tip. suggested he should have a year off, but Carlton seems to be the... Um, yeah, there's Carlton, there's St Kilda. The there focus. might well be Essendon. There might well be... Well, no, well, John Longmire will be the the man that they will have the biggest crack at North Melbourne. I doubt that Brad Scott will go to Sydney, but who knows? I mean, if I had to make a tip now, it would be Carlton. But how lucky was 3AW? We'd lined up Brad Scott for an interview before the game on the Saturday, and he honoured he 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 wasn't going to honour the commitment at one point, but then he said yes, he would. So we actually got the first interview with him. He didn't actually well, he pretty much confirmed it was his last game. He said the players were agitated, so he he let out a couple of things that 
gave a real insight into what was happening, but it was just one of those enormous pieces of good fortune. And he had the good grace to honour the interview. Mm-hmm. We were given some restrictions about how many questions we could ask about it, and we probably st- snuck in a few extras. Oh, that's not like you. Lee Matthews was brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant. You it know, was... I, I don't, as you know, I don't often get to listen to your Saturday program because of the shop, but uh, when I do, I am increasingly impressed by Lee Matthews as a commentator of the game. Yeah, I know, after all this time. He's actually become really hard-hitting and really a bit like Wallsy did. Remember when Robert Walls was at the peak, absolute peak of his media career? It was almost like whatever Wallsy said, everybody stopped and, and listened. The whole footy world took note of it. Well, I think there was an element that felt that it was time to stop listening to Lee Matthews. And, you know, Channel 7 aren't using him as much anymore. He's only there on more of a part-time basis. 3AW have recommitted to him, and he's recommitted to 3AW. And I think he's been absolutely brilliant this year. Getting better with age, Lee, as a good Hawthorne person does. Caro, fascinating footy stuff. And speaking of footy and speaking of the interchange bench, which Brad Scott could be coming off in a few months' time, or we don't know, really. But <laughs> he will. our crush of the week is... Always thanks to our friends at the Interchange Bench for players to take your work team to the top of their game, head to the Interchange Bench. They can fill any professional level role in any industry and sector, both short and long term. Just call 1-800-I-BENCH or go to interchangebench.com.au. Caro, who is your crush? Now, stay with me here, Corrie. Stay with me here. I've got my pyjamas out. Thank you. Thank you, Interchange Bench. AFL coaching is becoming a very different game. I think people like Don Pike are struggling at the moment because I think that sort of tough love with less love and more tough just doesn't cut it anymore. And you have to put your arm around footballers. I mean, we saw Ross Lyon do it after their one-point victory late on Sunday night over Brisbane. And, you know, Chris Fagan, older coach, has gone, who's, who's never coached AFL before, never played AFL before, your old footy manager at Hawthorne, has gone up to Brisbane and has become more of a manager of young men and having some success. But Damien Hardwick over the last two weeks, in fact, Damien Hardwick all year has done an who, unbel- for those who aren't aware, is the coach of Richmond He Football is Club. a Richmond coach. But what he's done two weeks ago after... Brandon Ellis played very well against Hawthorne. He publicly apologised to Brandon for focusing far too much on on his weaknesses and not his strengths. And he didn't say this, but I think he felt maybe other players had gone past Brandon and he was starting to lose faith in him. He apologised. Then, after the Dreamtime game, he apologised to the Indigenous player, Sydney Stack, who he absolutely blasted, took out at uh, training last week when Sydney Stack arrived late onto the training ground, said some pretty... Um, choice words to him, which if you're a lip reader, you could tell what he was saying right up front and actually shoved him, gave him a bit of a push, which is not something you see from coaches anymore. Sydney Stack, who led the war cry before the game um, on behalf of Richmond's Indigenous players, was absolutely brilliant, was picked up by Richmond in, I think, January this year. No one else wanted him despite his talent because he was seen as having real discipline issues, came over from the West, been great. Um, Only really a cameo role in the Dreamtime game. But Damien Hardwick then apologised to Sydney Stack and said, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken to him that way. He's been absolutely wonderful for our footy club. I mean, coaches coming out and admitting they're wrong just doesn't happen all that often. But anybody in a position of authority... It takes good grace and humility. You talk about crucial conversations, and those conversations Richmond had in the lead-up to their premiership year were one thing, but this is a team who has lost all its best players and all three of its leadership group for the 
most of the season, or certainly Alex Rance for all of the season, I reckon. And um, he's managing to um, rebuild the team with all these young players. When everyone said Richmond had no depth, and I don't think they're going to necessarily win the premiership, but I think he's done a wonderful job. So he's my crush of the week, Well, that's uh, unusual for Caroline Wilson. Her crush of the week involves the Richmond Football Club, but I do think that is a very fine crush. I mounted a good argument, though, didn't I? Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm happy with that. Thank you to the interchange bench. And, Corrie, what are you grumpy about today? I'm grumpy with Facebook, Caro. I'm grumpy with Facebook really? and, its, yeah, and its increasingly menacing role it plays in politics. There are gazillions of examples, but the one that's really got up my goat this week is, and you bear with me, you go on the journey with me now, over to Washington, don't roll your eyes. Yes, Donald <laughs> Trump land. But this week, example you will find fascinating, Caro. Last week, Donald Trump stormed out of a meeting with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and a whole lot of other top Democrats. They were having a second round of talks about how to rebuild the nation's infrastructure. These are supposed to be bipartisan talks. The 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 president said, "You all, you all think I'm, you know, colluding with the Russians and everything," and stormed out. After the meeting, the Democrat leaders gave a press conference, which had been organised in advance, during which Pelosi said that the president had thrown a temper tantrum, quote unquote. So, of course, Donald Trump responded in the usual way via Twitter and calling her crazy Nancy and saying she is a mess. And then he posted this link to a doctored video that has been made by some pro-Trump forces, which has grabbed various footage of Nancy Pelosi, who I'm just saying is 79, so and, and a woman under intense stress. So I'm just going to leave that there. But this terrible post has cut and spliced different images of Nancy Pelosi and they've made her look like she's either drunk or suffering symptoms of a stroke or she's having trouble speaking, right? Now, it has been condemned widely and Facebook eventually, uh, you know, acted, but not quickly enough. Um, It just, to me, highlights the social media's struggle to deal with disinformation and so what Facebook They've has done... They've got to get better, don't they? They really do. Now, to their credit, they have now put on Facebook the original footage next to the viral clip. And it's just so unbelievably doctored. It's, I mean, it's, just, it's really compelling. However, why not take the whole thing off? Why not just shut it down? And Facebook just refuses to delete it. And it's, of course, being spread virally by all Trump supporters. It's now gone on to Twitter and the YouTube, uh, and millions of people have seen it. The post was shared by the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, my God, can you believe it? And the thing about Facebook, Caro, is, you know, it started as this extraordinary social network for friends and like-minded people. As we know, Mark Zuckerberg started it through his university college mates. You know, we all know the backstory. And the idea was to share news and ideas, invitations and things. And 20 years on, there's just this huge disconnect between what Facebook originally intended to be and what the platform has actually become. And it has become a media organisation because they generate millions of dollars each year in ads. So there has to be some responsibility about this. As we saw, you know, it's it, with the... Uh, Christchurch massacre, it spreads hate, it spreads misinformation and, you know, the, the, the editors or whoever is monitoring the content needs to be quicker in responding. Well, it's interesting you say that because Peter Gordon, the chairman of the Bulldogs, made this really good interview, I think it was a few weeks ago on one of the radio stations, where he said 
The AFL's was over there at the time. Gillan McLaughlin had gone over to talk to Google, to Facebook, to Amazon about future media rights, which are obviously going to change with the changing shape of the media. And he said, if we're going to do business with these blokes, we need to make some conditions on our agreement. We need to actually say, you've got to stop the trolls. You've got to somehow edit them out. You've got to show some responsibility for putting some of this stuff up online, talking about the terrible things that have been done to some of the women footballers over the women's football season, and obviously to the the hate stuff that sends some of the male footballers into a downward spiral. And we asked Gillan McLaughlin about it, and he was a bit wishy-washy. He didn't really commit either way, which was really disappointing. But Peter Gordon was right. I mean, if, if you're going to do business with them, the 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 organisations have got to start putting conditions on them. Absolutely I right. I agree with you. I thought you were going to be grumpy about people sniffing. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I did, out of context, that just just for listeners uh, benefit. When we started our show this morning, I said to Miss Jane and Caro, "I'm fed up with people sniffing out loud, uh, as though it's just a commonplace, normal thing to do. Sniffing it was always considered rude." Not to mention unhealthy, yeah, and pretty disgusting sometimes. Yeah. It's bad when, and it's particularly bad in the service industry when it's a nurse or a blow, someone doing a blow wave. Or <laughs> anyway, I won't go into that. Now, Corrie, it's time for BSF, and I've wrested the book section from you because I have rediscovered Jeanette Turner Hospital, who. Obviously, is a, I mean, you would know her very well. She's a Melbourne-born writer, grew up in Queensland. I think at the moment, she's lived in Canada and the US for many years, now in her 70s. Um, at the moment, she's lecturer or writer in residence at Columbia University. Um, and um, I want to talk to you in a moment about Orpheus Lost. But first of all, I'm I- going to tell you about the sport. You're going to tell us about our sponsor. I am going to. It's Vital Smarts. And we had... Uh, we had- Lovely time last week with Jeff from Vital Smarts. Thanks for coming in, Jeff. And of course, we learnt all about what they do. If you didn't hear that episode, we want to tell you about Vital Smarts. Is your organisation suffering from unsupportive, lazy, or poor performers? Mm, looking around the room here, no, I can't see oh, any here. Corrie. Vital Smarts training gives you and your staff the skills to speak up and hold each other accountable. And they're globally proven to solve communication and behavioural problems in any culture or industry. Crucial conversations and crucial accountability training give you the tools and skills to talk about almost anything, even the toughest issues within the workplace. So have a look at vitalsmarts.com.au with a forward slash DSTM for Don't Shoot the Messenger, and you will receive a listener-only offer and more information. Caro, tell us about the book. Well, it's called Orpheus Lost. It's a retake on the original myth of Orpheus. And there are three main characters in this book. She wrote this Jeanette Turner Hospital in 2007 and didn't write another novel um, for another seven years, The Claimant. Have you read The Claimant? No, I haven't. I never read that. This is a beautiful book. It's a thriller. It's a love story. And it's obviously... um, there's something very mystical about it, which you would like, because, you know, you like that mystical stuff in books, and you know I don't. I, I love, know. I love the way you always say that, and your little face screws up, and you give me a little patronising uh, smile. No. You, I believe in fairies. Okay, I read no. my horoscope every day. 
I think I admit it. No, I, I think you're a bit more um, <clears throat> critical of me because I can't often go there. But I have it this one. So the, the Eurydice, Eurydice, who was yes. the original character, is Leela in the modern oh, take. Eurydice. Eurydice, be, yes. I should say. I'm sorry. Well done. She's um, a mathematical genius. She comes from some southern town in America and she's moved to Boston where she hears Mishka who is Orpheus, who's a young Australian musician who's playing his violin in a subway. They fall in love, but there becomes – she basically – or he disappears into the underworld. There's a terrorism element to this story. He has a father he's trying to find. So it goes to the Middle East. It goes to the Daintree where where there's this amazing musical mystery played out, all connected to Orpheus stroke Mishka. And there's the third character in this sort of rather – it's a triangular relationship, Cobb, who goes into the underworld too to bring to chase Mishka. He's a security expert who comes from the hometown of Leela. They both come from this southern town and they both have problematic relationships with their families, their fathers. Anyway, it, it is, it's a mystery. It's a thriller. It's a love story. The stuff in Boston and the Daintree is absolutely brilliant. There's also some really interesting stuff back in the southern town and then you go to the Middle East where the, all the – Dreadful stuff happens to both Leela and Mishka and Cobb. It is what ulti- a wonderful book. I've never read it's it. Ultimately, is it a good book club book? Do it's you think? brilliant. It's ultimately triumphant. Not everyone liked it. Some people felt that um, Jeanette Turner Hospital struggled a bit with the Middle Eastern part where she was less familiar. But I think it's a wonderful book. And she's written short stories in between those two over that seven-year period. But anyway, I would... Um, Orpheus Lost. And what year it. did she write it? Do you know? 2007. Oh, you said that. Sorry. Okay. You've so got a screen for I us. do. I do have a screen. It's another Netflix, Caro, like last week. But this is a, another documentary. And it's called Above Us Only Sky. And it is it, it premiered on Channel Four in the UK last November, and then in the US in March, out to rave reviews. And it is the making of the Imagine album by John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and their gang of musicians. And it's oh look, it's just such a brilliant uh, splicing of back and forth in time. There are interviews with current day, Yoko Ono, Julian Lennon, photographer David Bailey, um, Lennon's former personal assistant Dan Richter and a whole lot of others. But the real the real sort of gem of this is the footage that John Lennon and Yoko Ono organised their own personal filmmaker, a young chap, to be in the house at Tittinghurst Park in Ascot, which was their home in England for a while before they moved to New York. And the couple said to him, we want you to record everything, the whole making of this album. We want you in meetings. We want the fights. We want John playing on his own, practicing. We want the kitchen because every morning they used to all get together and have a big breakfast and they talk about what they were going to record that day. And no holds barred. So, of course, this is this is Lennon and Ono in their own world. George Harrison turns up and helps with a couple of tracks and the just the genuine friendship between he and George, uh, John Lennon and George, even though the Beatles had split sometime earlier. Both dead now. Both dead now. So this is sort of set in uh, 1973, of course. That's when the um, the te- television film Imagine actually uh, was made. But what I love about this project, Caro, is that Yoko Ono has been a producer. And although it is a, a pro 
Yoko Ono's story, I guess. There's not a lot of criticisms of Yoko Ono's role in John Lennon's life. It is a very, um, I think, quite objective view of of the because the people who are talking are the people who are there. So you can make up your own mind about her role. And what I found really extraordinary, a couple of things I learned from watching this documentary, and you, you know I'm a mad Beatles fan, John Lennon's extraordinary work ethic for one and his focus while he's creating music it's just amazing Carol in the original footage of him making these songs he's such a perfectionist and he drives his backup musicians to achieve their absolute best and then the second thing my take home was the important role Yoko plays in nurturing John's creativity so of course as we know until recent history uh, until recent years, history's judged Yoko very harshly as the woman who broke up the Beatles. In fact, she was older than John, and during the making of Imagine, we just see her considerable role in helping John, John's star shine brighter, and it was a real creative partnership. So it's a fantastic documentary for anybody who loves muso documentaries, Above Us Only Sky on Netflix. I knew nothing about it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And you have a recipe. I do, and I've got to pay tribute to my daughter Clementine for this one. She made this last night. It is hot off the presses. It's in the new June Hot edition. in your tummy. Yeah, well, I actually only tried it when I got home from Footy Classified, and I just couldn't stop eating it. It's That's not um, good before you go to bed. There you is, know you shouldn't eat four hours before you go to bed. I know, but... Clem had left some of it out. It's called Tempered Dal. It's hot off the presses in that it's in the new edition of one of my favourite magazines, Gourmet Traveller, um, which is the masterclass edition. And there are all these tips about how to cook like a pro. So it gives you an amazing recipe for beef wellington, something our friend Jane, Jane Lamerton has all read, Jane McCubbin has perfected. They've got the perfect roast pork, how to make crackling. They've got the perfect um, beef pie, how to make the perfect pastry. Tempered dal is so simple, Corrie. And you know I don't what? understand why they're using the word tempered. Tempering is a technique used in South Asian cooking. I'm quoting here to add extra flavour, spices and other ingredients like chilli, onion, curry leaves. I refer you to Clemmy Donahue, which is her food Instagram, which she actually does a pictorial sort of record of how she made this. But it's step by step. I won't take you that through Instagram the whole thing. That Instagram account's going to go off, off now. <laughs> Absolutely off. We don't shoot the messenger potties joining it. But you do it in two different tempers, this one. Now, it says uh, prep time, 15 minutes. Clem reckons it took about 20 minutes. But the lentils you use are dried red split lentils, so you don't have to soak them overnight, two and three-quarter cups. There's coconut milk. You serve it with steamed rice. The first temper involves coconut oil, but you can just use vegetable oil. Um, Onions, garlic, ginger, fresh curry leaf, fresh curry leaves, um, yellow mustard seeds, turmeric, a cinnamon quill, a pandan leaf. You get all this stuff from Asian shops. Um, Lemongrass. And the second temper involves ghee, which is clarified butter, but not mm. too much of no, it. I, I'm a big fan of using ghee in cooking. So, oh, good. Well, you've made the first bit, and then the second temper, you do it in two stages. You use ghee, a small sliced onion, not chopped, a large red chilli, quarter cup of loose um, curry, fresh curry leaves, and a teaspoon of yellow mustard seeds. So you fry all that up, and you put it into the first temper, which is oh, the dal. Oh, I see. And the, and the lentils are boiling, I imagine. Well, it's all warm and right. you put it in and you mix it in and it it it, it gives this this flavour so do you, and then do you put it through the whizzer no oh. no 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 then you just serve it with rice anyway miss jane's going to put it up on our website on our 
what's she going to put it up on? Our <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have a website yet. What do we have? But if anybody <laughs> would like to sponsor us to have one. We're social media absolute <laughs> aficionados, aren't we? It's going to be on our Facebook page, Tempered Dull. And um, I think it's um, Tama, O Tama Carey from the uh, Lankan Filling Station tells us how to add layers of flavour. Well, that, I can't wait to get my mitts on that magazine. It looks fantastic. June Although I don't, know whether I'm a, I don't know whether I'm a masterclass kind of girl. Oh no! This is look. This was. I so think that's simple. what went wrong with the cake I cooked that you had some of the other day. It was a bit heavy, and I think it's because I went off piste with the recipe. Well, you can't do that, Corrie. Oh, I know. It just when it's the first time, problem. you follow the recipe and you I do know. all that stuff later. There's a really lovely section on the Northern Territory too. Now it's time. Thanks. To, that was BSF, by the way. Thank you, Vital Smarts. There were some crucial conversations at North Melbourne Footy Club, but. I'm not sure whether Vital Smarts would have approved in the um, selling of the message afterwards. <laughs> anyway, they need to get Vital Smarts in. Well, certainly, I think St Kilda and Carlton do in the next few weeks. Just yeah. saying. Carlton's fascinating. Corrie, we haven't discussed this yet. What are your thoughts on Baby Sussex's name? I love Baby Sussex's name, Archie Harrison Mountbatten-Windsor, seventh in line to the British throne. I'm very happy with the name. The reason I wanted you to ask me about this was because because this is another shout-out to our fellow podsters over in London, fortunately with Fee and Jane, Jane Garvey and Fee Glover, two fabulous BBC presenters who just have their own show. And the other day they were talking about Archie and the name and they wondered what actually constitutes a royal name and Jane wondered, where are all the Janes? You know, there used to be Lady Jane Grey and Jane Seymour. But there hasn't been a Jane in the royal family for such a long time. And that prompted me to think about the names that you and I grew up with in the 60s. We've got lots of Janes in our stratosphere. And whether we are unlikely to ever see any of those names ever appear in the royal family again. I mean, Caroline is a Monty to appear because it's such a grand name. Corrie, highly unlikely, unless it's the Dutch royal family and there's a few of them there. Um, but those 60, 60s names you and I grew up with, like Robin, and Sue and Bronwyn, Lisa, Linda, <laughs> Karen, Queen Karen, uh, Kim, Angela, Sandra, Anne, well, I suppose Princess Anne, but she might be the last of the Annes. All those names that have suddenly been deemed a bit old-fashioned. But remember, just think of your own schoolyard. I can see your head's ticking off. I'm thinking here. this is the longest answer <laughs> to a quick question. I think you've broken the record. No, I had eight Carolines in my year at school. By the well, time went I to got a toffee to year 12. School. I didn't go to such a toffee no, school. No, don't be ridiculous. We I think both... we only had one Caroline. But who ended hardly, up going to your school, it's funnily hardly, enough. It's hardly toffee. Um, or there were, come, some of them were Carolines. You know, Linda's another one. There are a lot of Lindas, and you don't get Linda much anymore. You don't. You don't see many Bronwyns being born? No, you don't. Or Karens? Anyway, just I just thought I'd throw that in. Caro, That's finish. your long way of saying you like the name Archie. Good. <laughs> That was an interesting little. We had a nice little conversation there. Don't be so, don't be so three RW with me all the time. Oh, I've got to move. Got to move. Got to move. Um, finish this sentence, Caroline. The best thing about your husband going away on a golf weekend is catching up with my girlfriends and knowing he's having a wonderful time. Oh, and stop. Well, I mean, it's great to know they're having a good oh, no, time. That, yeah, okay. And he's playing good golf and he's gone to country Victoria. In this case, I think it was, um, well, certainly Tokemol, which is a great part of Victoria. And I had two breakfasts over the weekend with two lots of lovely friends. You caught I up had with a lovely children? I had a lovely girls' lunch with you. I had... Um, and a lovely girls' car night with my old school gang. So it was all about seeing all my girlfriends. That's what I loved about it. Good. 
Corrie, what is cli-fi and can I catch it? <laughs> what are the questions you come up with? It's called climate fiction. So potties will know that I love the little terminology used in the book industry. When a I was a bit worried a, where that was going to go, but well, anyway. I know, it sounds like a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> uh, but one of my reps said, oh, this is a really good one for August. You'll love this. It's a really good cli-fi. And I said, it's a what? What is that? So cli-fi is, is like sci-fi, but it's a climate fiction. So it's literature, Caro, that deals with climate change, global warming. Um, sometimes there's a bit of a dystopian bent to it, and often there's a thriller element. So think of people like Michael Crichton, Clive Cussler, um, The Stone Gods by Jeanette Winterson, and Solar by Ian McEwan could fit into the cli-fi mould, as Richard Powers' The Overstory, which won this year's Pulitzer Prize. Oh, so, so it's like a new genre. It's like chick lit. It's yeah, a thing. Exactly. It's oh, a thing. It's I a like new that. it's a it's a new <laughs> it's a new genre of its very own. Caro, will Boris Johnson be Britain's next Prime Minister? Gee, I hope not. <laughs> He's behaved appallingly. <laughs> I don't and like your chances. I think that for him to put his hand up again now when he wouldn't do the hard yards when he should have after campaigning for Brexit, I thought it was just appalling the way he behaved and it would be the most horrible revisionist thing of Britain to do, so I hope not. Corrie. If you had the choice of any theatre ticket in the world right now, what would it be? To Kill a Mockingbird at the Schubert Theatre, West 44th Street, New York. Starring, oh, let's go. Starring Jeff Daniels as Atticus Finch. And for those who can't picture Jeff Daniels immediately, he was Will McAvoy in the newsroom. Wasn't that a great show? Fantastic. That lost been, the plot at the end, but it was great. He's been nominated for a Tony, and I tell you what, he was on the Nicole Wallace uh, podcast the other night, um, probably around about May the 16th or something. You can look it up if you follow Nicole Wallace. And she did an interview with him about the current political zeitgeist in the States and what would Atticus Finch make of it. It was such a fascinating conversation. So if you don't follow that podcast, just tap in Nicole um, Wallace and... I think Nicole is with two L's and uh, MSNBC and Jeff Daniels, and it will come up. Whatever happened to a question without notice, Olivia Munn, who played Sloan, the oh, financial reporter on such that show. A great, such the a great actor. American comedian. Yeah, such was, a great actor. I haven't seen her for ages. No, she I know. Absolutely. Oh, she was a great character. Anyway, okay, good. To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, if I'm in New York in the next few months, I'll go. Well, that's a bit of a GLT, but you actually do have a GLT, Carol. I do. And this is um, thanks to my daughter, Rose, and with apologies God, to... God, the kids are getting a good run this week. They are. but and, and well, Rose is going away, so she is in need of... Some down, well, not <clears throat> not so much downsizing, offloading. With apologies to Anna from the op shop and her sister Julie, Rose has discovered a fabulous recycle boutique called Recycle Boutique. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Collingwood in Victoria, in Melbourne. It sells you stuff on consignment, but it keeps you notified by email. So they sell everything on full price for four weeks, and then if it doesn't sell after four weeks, it cuts to half price with your permission, and um, then if it doesn't sell after that, it's 70% off, and then it donates it to charity. I was going to say, do they ring you up and say, come and pick up your booty? It is the perfect, according to Rose, the best service. She's already sold a few things, and 
he says it's just they're very nice people. It's fantastic the way they do it, and it's perfect to know that if something doesn't work out after four weeks, then you've got half price, and then you've got seventy percent off, and then it goes to charity. What a great way to get rid of some of your stuff if you think it's worth selling. And that's a very good idea. I like that. That's my GLT Recycle Boutique in Collingwood. Corrie, this has been a very enjoyable episode. I've learned a lot this week, Caro. James, unlike Flowers. other weeks when I'm bored, senseless. I've, no, not I've at all. learned that's a, a joke. lot. I've learned about Cli-Fi. I've actually Rose gave me the new Ian McEwen that you recommended a few weeks ago. So that's going Machines on. Machines like me. That's going on the trip with me. Please tell your friends and family, everyone, to subscribe to our podcast. I know my friend Sal, who's over in America, is listening. Her dear daughter Ellie had a very bad accident recently, and well, it wasn't an accident, but she's getting better. So much love to you, Ellie. If it wasn't an accident, what was it? Oh, she was an operation. Oh, yep. Oh, yep. that's she, terrible. But she's okay. Please oh, send sending your, love. Yeah, love to love to all of the family, and particularly you, Ellie, and to your rowing crew as well. Even though they won't be with you, sadly, send feedback, comments, tips, and suggestions to Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet. Just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Caro, just a little plug for the book pod. We just dropped a new episode, Miss Jane and I, and we interviewed Troy Bramston about his most excellent and fascinating biography of Sir Robert Menzies. So that's just dropped into your stratosphere. I want you to do some research on Jeanette Turner Hospital. And Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hello, I'm Troy Bramston. I'm Michelle Scott Tucker. I'm Jane Harper. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm David Maher. Join me on the book pod. I'm here with Corey Perkin on the book pod. My name is Vicky Lovell Harvey. Corey Perkin invites you to read The Erratics as part of the next book pod book club. I hope you enjoy it. I'm not a member of a book club. Uh, ten or so years ago, I joined a boys' book club, a men's book club, like a boy band, I suppose, and I hated it. We all became writers because we're introverts at heart, I think, and sometimes I even wonder if the introversion came first and the reading came second. You have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build a story. I would have been any one of the famous five. I just wanted to have those sorts of adventures because, believe me, nothing like that happened in suburban Caulfield. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.